Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. Now, the outtakes of me just rambling are not anything anybody wants to hear. You guys don't want to hear it. No, it is. It's amusing. That's how we, uh, this how we segue from like, serious to not serious and vice versa yeah it's very important so bill are we recording we are recording all right gang we're talking about art this week and lots of it but is it worth anything that's the ultimate question so visiting with us today we have bill sutton hey bill hey Annette. i'm bill sutton i'm the managing editor of the express news group also sitting in today we have brendan o'reilly Hi, Brendan. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the features editor. And then we have Joe Shaw sitting in. Hi, Joe. Yep. Hi, Joe Shaw, executive editor. And finally, we have a special guest today who um, did the story that we're talking about, and that's Brian Boyhan. Hiya, Brian. Hey, I'm Brian Boyhan. I'm former editor and publisher of the Sag Harbor Express. Yeah, but you're also, you're like publisher emeritus, aren't you? And publisher emeritus. Yeah. I just picture you in a cap and gown every time you say that. So, um, Brendan, I know that you have some pretty big news for us this week, and what is that? The Press Club of Long Island has awarded the Southampton Press the 2020 Best Community Weekly Newspaper. Hey, good for us. We're very proud of that. And this follows yeah. being the 2019 Best Community Weekly Newspaper for the East Hampton Press. So, Western edition next year. So, we have not slipped. That's good. We got to keep the bar high. Fingers crossed. We're the Sag Harbor Express. Or the Sag Harbor Express, yes. Right. There we go. So read them all daily. Wait, we're only once a week. <laughs> daily. Well, you should read them all daily anyway. It takes me a week to read it, so. It really does. I know it's true. They're chock full of steam and news. Yeah, my Sunday Times is still in the blue bag. I haven't gotten to it. It's typical, though. They have this thing called the internet now? Don't tell people about the internet, yeah. Joe. The interweb. <laughs> And my name is Annette Hinkle. I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. It seems like suddenly, even though that this place has always been known for its artists, that suddenly people are starting to pay attention to this area and they never have before. So Michelle Trowering has a story in the art section this week about all of these New York City galleries that are suddenly coming out here. And Brendan, I'm sure you know a lot about this. We've always had a lot of pop-up galleries every summer, but these this time around, it seems as if the galleries are thinking of this as a new place to really set up shop. And I had a conversation with Eric Fischel a few weeks ago, and he was the one that sort of made me think this might be a story. Um, but he had compared how 57th Street in Manhattan became Gallery Row after World War II when all of the European artists came to New York. Same thing sort of happened with COVID. And now 57th Street is relocating to Newtown Lane or Job's Lane in the Hamptons and that we're now getting these galleries that are not only setting up for the summer, but may actually stay here year round. His thought is that this is now going to become a new, a new destination for artists and not just a summer playground, but we're talking high end though. That's the other thing. Like these are not, they're not selling pieces that you or I could probably afford. You, you know, when I read Michelle's story, it kind of reminded me of the year growing up in Irondequoit, New York, when my 
parents finally installed a swimming pool in the backyard. And all of a sudden I went from being kind of a lonely little kid to having a ton of, a ton of new friends who just wanted to come over and visit and swim in the pool. And while, while that was fun for a little while, then it, it was kind of like, you know, yeah, you guys, you know, to take it or, 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 or leave it. And I think maybe we kind of should have a little bit of an attitude here and on, on the South Fork and the East end. Okay. So what, we're going to have a little coronavirus and, all of a sudden, you guys are going to come out here and the Hamptons is important now? Come on. Well, they're following the real estate. You know, there's, there's people that have decided that for the time being, their Hamptons house is going to be their primary house. And there's people that were perhaps summer renters in the past. They tried to get a summer rental this year. Nothing nice was in stock anymore because they waited too long. And then they said, okay, well, then I'll buy. And since I'm buying, I might as well stay until the pandemic's over. So we're going to see those people that normally hightail it out of here by Labor Day are going to be sticking around in September and October and November when these art galleries are used to making sales in New York City. If they just stayed open in Manhattan and kept their doors open and waited for those, uh, those clients who were loaded, for lack of a better term, to come in, and drop $100,000 on a piece of art, they're not coming to Manhattan to buy art in September, October, November. They're going to be in the Hamptons. That's fine. Stay out of my pool, though. Here's the thing. So Spanierman tried this. Spanierman was a guy who essentially created the Hudson River School of Art. Such a thing never existed until Spanierman created the notion of the Hudson River School of Art. And he was wildly successful. And he opened a gallery out here, I think probably thinking the same thing. This probably would have been shortly after 9-11 with the same thought that, well, all of these New York City people are moving out here. Here's my market. They're moving out to the Hamptons. It didn't play out real well. And Spaniaman closed up its shop and picked up its tent and moved back to New York shortly thereafter. The people that I've spoken to in the art world feel that this is more of the same. I think it's probably worth an experiment for Sotheby's or for, I know there was a couple of other galleries that were mentioned. Certainly worth the experiment to spend a couple of bucks to rent a space for a year, two years maybe. I'm not convinced that the Hamptons is the place where people buy $100,000 pieces of art because you've had the population out here for a very long period of time. And you've had the artists out here for a very long period of time. And you've got galleries like Vered or the, uh, we'll talk about Elaine Benson later on, that had a history of doing business, but certainly not at the scale that occurs in uptown New York. I'm curious, we're talking about a very specific portion of the, the economy, and, and it's, it's really unique in a lot of ways, right? I mean, I, I would think that the COVID uh, crisis has had kind of little effect on that market because certainly the people at the top end have the money to continue to spend. And I wonder how much uh, it's, it's an intrigue. I, I don't buy a lot of art myself, so it's very difficult for Damon's laps in the background, which always makes me feel good. But I, I don't, I, I assume that the art market probably hasn't changed that significantly during the crisis, has it? I think the people that have that money to spend on that kind of artwork still have that money to spend on that kind of artwork and, and it hasn't changed in that way. I feel like what may have changed or may be changing, we'll have to see if this plays out, 
I don't think this, the moves out here are as temporary as they were after 9-11. You know, I get the sense that, yeah, we had that after 9-11 where people pulled their kids out of schools in the city and came out here and enrolled them locally. And then they trickled back to the city within a year or two. COVID feels more unsettling in that nobody can really see the end of this. You know, like 9-11 was a really horrible tragedy. It was an event that occurred on one day, the ramifications of which we're still living with. But it wasn't the same kind of dire feeling that like COVID has. One of the great things about galleries selling high-end art is that it's one of those businesses that can't be uh, replicated online. You're not going to have an Amazon type website selling to Kooning's the way that a clothing store can go out of business because they're competing with, you know, Zappos uh, selling shoes or something. Maybe when they get out here and they do make a little district in Southampton Village and maybe one over in East Hampton Village, they do tend to feed off of each other, right? It's like what they say about restaurants. A town with six restaurants has more successful restaurants than a town with one restaurant because people know, oh, that's where you go to eat. Well, maybe that will be the place where you go to get fine art. And, you know, the people that do go back to the city, they still love an excuse to go to the Hamptons. So if they're like, oh, we're going to the Hamptons this weekend to pick up some de Koonings. I, I do think that when the people go back to the city because Broadway's reopened and they're going to go chase Broadway and Lincoln Center, that those businesses might enjoy paying less in rent on Job's Lane than they've been paying in rent in upper Manhattan. And I think the reason that this was never a huge art buying market is that, again, like Brian pointed out, those people sort of saved their art buying for their first residence. And I think the big question is how many of the, those residents are now going to be out here? So that's going to be an interesting thing to see whether the buyer market for art is actually out here. There's like two different worlds. Like I've seen people on Facebook comment, don't go to these fancy new galleries and buy your art, buy it from the local galleries. It's like, there's, they're like two different animals, you know, like, I don't know, walking in and buying a de Kooning at one of these high-end galleries is not the same as buying a piece of art from artists that we all know and hang out with at the bar, you know? We've talked before about people relocating out and how they may become permanent residents now and also leaving the city uh, just for safety reasons. And those two things might both be in play here, I guess. And, and it, it's at least theoretically possible we could see a, a shift. I think there is such an allure and a seduction in New York City that the first wisp of it being safe, you're going to have this return wave get back to the city as soon as possible because East Hampton is not New York City. Is that going to create a crisis? We may be looking at it and saying this and so many other things, well, it's going to mean a new permanent population and that'll bring all the things that that brings. If they turn around and pull up stakes and run back to the city in, in a year, uh, that could have an economic impact on the region as well, right? While there are the cultural opportunities out here and the educational opportunities that we have out here, uh, it just ain't New York City. And I think that the first opportunity that this population has to move back into New York safely, they're going to take it. We had some interesting news that sort of guess well maybe non-news we should say brian can speak to this that southampton hospital found a bunch of artwork staffed in a storage room when they were trying to make more room for covid patients some uh, heavy hitters of the art world who lived here on the east end who had donated 
work to the hospital. And now there's a question as to the intention of where that work will go, how much that work is worth, and how it got there. Brian, if I can ask, when I read the Post story, what I pictured was sort of an Indiana Jones kind of a thing with somebody with maybe a headlamp on, working his way through the, the, the depths of the basement at the hospital and Eureka being sort of like King Tut's tomb, seeing all of this art stacked up and, and tucked away where nobody ever knew it was. That's the story, right? No. <laughs> not the story. <laughs> it's not the story. It's too bad. That's a good story. So Bill had uh, sent this story around and I ignored it. And then on Tuesday, I'm going, <laughs> I really got to come up with a story for this week. I'm running out of time. And I figured, well, nobody's got the story. I, this, this sounds like a, a slam dunk. This is a fun hospital, discovers million dollars worth of art. Uh, and then, of course, you dig into a little bit more, and it, it, it made a left-hand turn, and it became something entirely different. The, the truth of the matter is, it was never really lost art to begin with. It was art that was stored in a storeroom. The hospital, according to hospital authorities, says that, well, no, we were perfectly aware it was there. In fact, when uh, Tom Edmonds from the Southampton Historical Museums approached the hospital about uh, perhaps auctioning off a portion of the hospital's collection of Rose de Rose wood sculpture, the uh, hospital people led him right to the storeroom where, in fact, those sculptures were. So Rose de Rose was an eccentric kind of turn of last century socialite who actually had a great talent as a, as a wood carver, a wood sculptor. And when she died, she left the hospital probably about 50 pieces that she had done. And when Tom Edmonds decided that he wanted to do a lecture about her, he turned to the hospital and said, look, I know you've got 50 of these. Can we auction off some of these and maybe uh, we could share the, uh, the profits? Hospital seemed inclined and brought Tom Edmonds and an art appraiser into the room where the art appraiser goes, whoa, we've got all this other stuff here also. And he saw a de Kooning lithograph and a couple of other pieces. And uh, as the story goes, um, said, you know what? I think, I guess convinced Tom Edmonds that why not get some of this other artwork and we'll make an auction out of it. And maybe the hospital and the historical museum can split the benefits. So here's where it gets a little bit murky. So the artwork was honestly, aside from the this de Kooning lithograph, pretty mid-level art, probably worth more like in the hundreds of dollars than the thousands of dollars. Sounded good in the Post. The Post article breathlessly said that one expert said, oh, this could bring a million dollars. Not even <laughs> on a good day, I don't think, could that collection of art that they discovered in the storeroom of Southampton Hospital glean a million dollars. I think on a good day, uh, the auctioneer thinks maybe $100,000. The hospital seems to think uh, perhaps $30,000, $40,000 maybe. Uh, so it's not exactly the miracle windfall that the Post story made it appear. If someone misplaced a million dollars of art at that hospital, they would have been criminally negligent. So I'm happy to hear that nobody lost a million dollar trove of art because I believe those people are very intelligent and they wouldn't do something like that. Um, I'm just curious, Brian, why were artists donating to the hospital in the first place? Uh, because of Elaine Benson. Elaine Benson, for anybody who's listening who may remember, and those who don't, owned a, a gallery in Bridgehampton, probably one of the first 
major galleries that represented local artists out here. She operated it, I guess, most of the second half of the last century. And she had great relationships with a lot of the local artists, Bill de Kooning, Elaine de Kooning, Bob Dash, Jim Brooks. And at the same time, she was also the, in charge of public relations for Southampton Hospital. So she had this link. And I was interviewing her daughter, Kimberly Goff, this week for the story. And she said, Mom always wanted the hospital to have a collection since we had this great body of local artists out here, a collection that the people who worked at the hospital, the staff, as well as those people who were visiting patients or whatever, to enjoy. Was it ever displayed? Was it ever enjoyed? Yes, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and still, if you go to Southampton Hospital, uh, the walls are filled with artwork, almost all of them done by local artists. And Elaine was the one who negotiated with the artists and convinced them to make donations. One of the bigger donors was Bill de Kooning, who actually spent quite a few visits at Southampton Hospital. And there are, according to my conversations, at least three major de Kooning pieces that are somewhere in the hospital. I spoke to Barbara Jo Howard the other day, who was in charge of uh, their public relations. She said, oh, yes, the de Koonings are, are here. They're still here, but I can't tell you where they are. So I'm, the only reason I can surmise is because they, for security purposes, they don't want to have them. Just before I came to join you folks here, I had lunch with uh, Mike Landy, who's a friend of mine, an artist. And he was one of the people who Elaine tapped to make a donation. And he said, yeah, because I remember Elaine gave him, had given him a couple of shows at her gallery. And she said, oh, it's about time, Mike, that you donate something to Southampton Hospital. So we had a piece, a nice piece made, framed it, and, and that somewhere is somewhere in Southampton Hospital. Although he said he's gone back and he hasn't been able to find it, so we don't know where that is. So I'm curious how the story where it took another left turn was this auctioneer from Massachusetts who apparently, allegedly, according to the story, took all of this work back to Massachusetts, unbeknown to the hospital. I'm like, who is this guy? Who brought him in? How did he get out of town with all of this stuff in his possession? And does he think it's now his to auction? So uh, here's where it gets a little tricky. When... Tom Edmonds comes in with this appraiser. The appraiser is part of, uh, or works with the auction house, Kaminsky Auctions. And the hospital had uh, said, well, gee, maybe we can sell a few of these pieces along with uh, a couple of the Rose de Roses, and we'll have a little sale over on the grounds of the Southampton uh, Historical Museum, splitting the benefits. So Tom Edmonds works with this appraiser and the appraisers on the premises for a few days and they catalog a bunch of work and the work leaves the property and it goes to Massachusetts with the appraiser. Bob Schaller is under the impression that the work leaves but is being moved over to the historical museums. So he is shocked to learn that the artwork is all up in Massachusetts where the auctioneer has the auction house and it's being prepped for auction because the auctioneer who has an agreement with Tom Edmonds 
to auction off a catalog of artwork, including the pieces that were taken from the, uh, the hospital, believes that he has an, a, a contract. He, in fact, has sent a truck down to pick up the artwork. He's had this appraiser on premises for three days, uh, has invested a lot of time, and he is shocked to learn that the hospital is saying, whoa, wait a minute. We don't know what you've got. We haven't had this appraised. We want the artwork back. If you're talking about auctioning all this stuff off, we actually want to have it appraised ourselves to understand what the value of this is. So let's pause here for a second. And the artwork, as I mentioned, is not a million dollar pile of art. It's worth $20,000, $30,000. The big piece is the de Kooning, and I'm going to get to this in a second, and a Calder that the, that the auction house feels might be able to make a $3,000. The rest of it is probably $400, $500, low hundreds. So the, um, the most interesting piece that I feel that is in this group of art that was taken up to Massachusetts is uh, the portfolio uh, or one of the portfolios that were done in 1982. So in 1982, again, Elaine Benson runs into Dan Weldon, the master printmaker, at a party. And uh, she corners him at the hors d'oeuvre table and says, Dan, isn't there something we can do with all of these artists uh, to benefit the hospital? And she pitches him an idea where he, as a printmaker, would work individually with a number of local artists, Bill de Kooning, Elaine de Kooning, Bob Dash, uh, Robert Glothmay, uh, Jimmy Ernst, Dan Flavin, and a number of others. And each one of those artists would create an original work of art on a lithography stone. They would hand pull a hundred of each of those artists' works. So there would be a box set of 10. And so there would be a hundred sets. Dan Weldon got 33 of them. The artists each got uh, a total of 33 between them all. The hospital got 33. And Elaine Benson got one. In this parcel of work, the auctioneer has one complete set. But just to be clear, Kimberly Goff, who is Elaine Benson's daughter, is opposed to any kind of sale of this artwork. Is that correct? That's correct. She, she felt that, the, yes, her mother negotiated with these artists to donate their work, and the art was not to be sold. However, she acknowledged, she says, there's nobody at the hospital who would remember that. There's nobody there who was, you know, who was part of that. There was no written agreement. But she said that the agreement that her mom had, and this is decades ago, was that the art wasn't supposed to be sold. Okay. So the uh, uh, long story short is that the artwork is, in fact, up in Massachusetts. The hospital is shocked that it's up in Massachusetts and wants its artwork back so that it can be appraised by the hospital, not by the auction house. Uh, the auction house is arguing, wait a minute, we've got an agreement, a signed agreement with Tom Edmonds from the historical museums for us to sell this artwork, and we intend to do that. And the hospital goes, we never authorized it. It's our artwork. You're not authorized to sell it. So the hospital is prepared to offer 
something to the auction house for its time. You know, the guy did in fact send down a truck, uh, picked it up. The uh, appraiser was on premises for three days, rummaging through it all. And and in the auction house's defense, that's not something they would likely do unless they thought there was going to be some money. Well, made, that's right? exactly right, and they, and that's why the auction house did it. He goes, I wouldn't have, if I didn't. This is Frank Kaminsky from Kaminsky. He goes, see, if I didn't believe that I had uh, a, an agreement to actually sell this, I wouldn't have wasted my time. I wouldn't have had this uh, appraiser down there. I wouldn't have sent a truck down to pick all this stuff up. The hospital has asked him for it back. Uh, they have, they're far from apparently reaching an agreement on what compensation is due. And when I asked Frank Kaminsky if he was prepared to send the artwork back to the hospital, his reaction was, I haven't really made up my mind yet. This is what I like about this. This just enters the, the vernacular now that, oh, it's the Hamptons where the local hospital finds a million dollars in art. It doesn't matter what the reality is. It feeds the narrative perfectly. And so it's done. It's done its job. I like that. And it's not over. The post story was much more interesting than, than the reality. It, it was like this whole, so here's this hospital that goes through, you know, this COVID crisis and loses all this money and, you know, and, and, all of a sudden they find this art in the storeroom that's just going to save the day and save the hospital. And I kind of wanted to click my heels and make, make that be true. I'll offer you a silver lining to this, that all of that poor artwork, which was lovingly made by those artists to be appreciated, was tucked away in this storeroom for years. Now it's at least out and getting some air and seeing the world a little bit. And we're talking about it. It was not exactly a temperature or climate controlled environment. It looked to be a room made out of another room. If you look at along one of the walls, it looks like there's like a, a temporary wall that was built up. Uh, and my wife noticed, oh look, there's a jazzy uh, and a, uh, a commode. Well, if, Mar if Marcel Duchamp can put up a urinal on a wall, then it could have been a, a, an extraordinarily valuable Marcel Duchamp. Well, even even more to point, you didn't notice, but this morning I had my Marcel Duchamp T-shirt on. It was it was new descending a staircase. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.